It's a trip being back down here again. Uh, it's like, welcome to my old dojo. This is really something. Um, if you don't know, I was the youth pastor for 11 years. And so uh, up until just a couple of years ago, this, I was here every Wednesday. And I have to say, it's probably a good thing I left because it smells really good in here. <laughs> and I never quite hit that level of, of stewardship. So I don't know if it's Ryan or Melissa or who's doing it. Yeah, Melissa. Ah. <sighs> Smelled like dingy carpet all the days I was down here. Um, someone just asked me, why are we down here? <laughs> if you don't know, a pipe froze in the kitchen uh, on Monday or Sunday, sometime between those, those checkpoints, and it has essentially destroyed 30% of the upper building. So it is going to be a massive insurance claim, but right now the company we have coming in, uh, I keep calling them disaster mitigation. I think that's what they're called. Anyway, serve pros here. They're looking at it, and they, they're going to tell us when it's clean and safe to, to even be up there for a public gathering, and right now is not that time. So this week we'll be down here. Uh, we have no child care, which is the, sort of the sad thing about being down here. There isn't multiple rooms for that, so we are looking uh, where we're going to go next, and we'll hopefully have a different place next week where we can have families and kids and everybody back. We're working through that. If you're wondering what's taking a while, uh, it's not that we haven't found places or had conversations. The insurance actually has to pay the rent for anywhere we go. So they're the ones that have to agree to the terms. So we gave it to them. They got everything and uh, didn't get an answer to us by this weekend. So hopefully we'll know next week uh, where we're going to be. But we want to be somewhere that has some classrooms so we can have kids back. So that is uh, the latest with that. It has been uh, an interesting week. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you watched the video update, and I showed some of the, the damages upstairs. Um, and uh, that's, that's just fun to watch. That was just, you know, it's, we might as well share it, right? Like, it'll get fixed soon. Uh, but I think for me, I, re- I, I feel, and, and I'm speaking with eldership and staff, I mean, it's, it's a headache to navigate over the next uh, few weeks, months, whatever it is it'll be before we get to be back up there. But I feel expectant and hopeful um, this is going to be something to where uh, it, it feels like the Lord has flushed away the church, and when it gets filled back up with, uh, with life and, and repairs, it, that it's going to be fresh, and that it's not just the building that gets renewed. It gets to be our body. We inherited multiple things. And so one of the elders shared Psalms uh, 16 with me, and there's this verse in it that says this, O Lord, you have the portion of my inherit, or you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot, and the lines have fallen in, a pl- in pleasant places for me. Yes, Lord, I have a good inheritance. And it spoke a lot to me because when you go through this, you know, insurance is going to pay for everything. We're going to pay a tiny deductible, and then we're going to cash in on that insurance plan we've been paying into since 1981. And so they're going to pay for all this. You always get kind of worried, like, are they, are they going to not take care of us well? Are things not going to work well for us? And if that's ever been a concern for you about our church, I really want you to think about that first because it's been an encouragement to me that the lot lines have fallen in favorable places for us. That just, just getting us back to where we were upstairs is going to be different. I mean, we're talking about picking lighting, carpet, and cabinets all at the same time instead of piecemealing them over 20 years. The, the, the cleanliness and the freshness of it is really going to be a blessing. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll be down here, and it smells so fresh and so good. Thank you, <laughs> Melissa Law, for all that you do. Um, but it's going to be uh, an interesting time. Talking to a few of you, some, not just our church, there have been some property disasters that have happened in general with the ice storm. If you have had any kind of property damage, you want to raise your hand. It's just something that's gone on in your home. We got a few here. Uh-huh. Could we, could, could, 
if you're sitting around these people, could you lay hands on them? Could we extend hands towards them? We want to pray for God's uh, favor over them. Lord, we ask right now for all of those who have had uh, setbacks and damages and trouble with their homes, uh, with their properties, with their businesses. Lord, I pray for your blessing to be with them. Lord, we stand that you've said that the inheritance is one that you cover and the lot lines have fallen good. Living Way Fellowship, it's not a building, Lord. It is a, a collection of people. And uh, we have so many things we inherit. We inherit property and we inherit uh, spiritual blessing, Lord. And I pray for those in this, uh, in this place who also have homes they steward and properties elsewhere where Living Way Fellowship goes home afterward, that those homes would be covered and protected and that your favor would be with them as they do repairs and work with insurance and all the things that are ahead of them. So Lord, we pray for a blessing that it would be re- restored back uh, better than it was before. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over our homes and our finances. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, as we, in the, over the next few uh, months or whatever, we might bounce around a bit. My hope is, is that when we lock into a rental, we'll just rent it for a whole bunch of weeks and just hang on to it, and it'll be something we can predict. But as we move around, I think it's important for us to go back and talk about who really are we at our roots what is our church so we can dig down, grab onto this unique identity that is living way and to, uh, for it to strengthen us and be renewed? Because who the church is, it's not, it's not the building, it's not the organization. Church in, in Greek, the word ekklesia, and actually, oddly enough, that's what I'm speaking a lot on next week and I was not planning. When I wrote that, the pipes were working fine. Uh, but... Uh, that word means a gathering of people. It doesn't mean a place or a building. So wherever we come together, that's living way. Whether it's here, another uh, meeting hall, wherever we're going to be, that is living way. And so I wanted to talk about what are those unique identities that make us who we are. God calls different churches to different things and gives them a certain portion and blessing and an identity that is theirs. And so I want to talk about the passage of our namesake because we did not invent the phrase living way. Uh, the phrase living way or the new and living way as it's phrased in the Bible comes from Hebrews 10. And so it's from that passage that we get our name and our namesake and who we are. It defines our identity and it still does. We're talking a name that, that Ken Wold picked out um, uh, nearly was over 40 years ago. And it still defines who we are today. It's still who we are. It's still at the core of our identity. And it's just a, it's an amazing calling to see coming down. So we're going to look at that namesake passage today. It's the core of our church since we were planted in 1981. Um, we were just, uh, we were just a, a small group. If you're part of a small group, imagine your small group getting so big that the church says, go be a church now. And from that time forward, we became Living Way Fellowship. I want to show you something real quick before we get started, because we have to read the book of Hebrews. And to understand that book, it's one of the most complicated books to understand in the New Testament. There's a lot of context to understand, and it's as simple as this. This is Mount Hood. Lovely Mount Hood, and this is a sign of, for Mount Hood. Imagine if a community told us, if you're going to go up to the mountain, you don't get to have the signs anymore. We're taking them all down. You can't look at them. You can't have them. We're taking them out of your city. You cannot go up there. This is what's happening to Hebrews, Jews that are converting to Christianity, is that the, the rest of their Jewish culture is telling them, if you go and, and accept this Christ, if you, if you go to these things that everything in the Old Testament are temples, everything pointed towards this figure, if you take him, you can't have the rest of this. They're being put out of synagogues. Synagogues were basically, uh, they're very much like what we have as churches, but there was like a church slash cultural center. They would go there during the day. If you were part of what was called the Jewish diaspora and you're spread out, you're not in Israel, 
the synagogue was, was like an embassy to you and a central place of worship because to be a Jew and to be, uh, to be a practicing Jew was, was the same thing back then. Be put out of the synagogue is to be put out of the community and they're beginning to be put out of the temple as well and it's a tense time. In this letter, it's written to be circulated to Jews who converted to Christianity who are facing these hard times. And uh, the author, who never names himself, he writes a lot like Paul. That's actually the lead theory that this is Paul, and he just, he's incognito. We don't know why he would do that, but it certainly sounds like him. Um, it's been written to them as an encouragement. And the temple ban must have recently happened, and that would be a very painful thing. To be thrown out of the temple is to basically be fully thrown out of the community. The temple is what unifies Jews and unified them in in that day and kept them together as who they are. To be cut off from the temple is to be cut off from the people and the loneliness and the discouragement of the Hebrew community that believed in Christ must have been overwhelming. Because we're not talking about just a few neighbors or something. We're talking about families, people that they uh, knew and loved. We know, for instance, that the Apostle Paul is famously not married. He says he's not married. It would have been really uncommon for him not to be. He was actually raised as a Pharisee. They would have had very arranged marriages, considering how high-ranking Pharisees were. Uh, The fact that he's not married means that probably the woman he was betrothed to refused to marry him, or her father refused to release her in marriage because he had converted to Christianity. It gives us an idea of how lonely uh, these people lived. And the temptation to give up on Christ and to give up on these things and to go back to feel the safety and comfort of what they had come from has now become overwhelming. And into this pain, into this desire to go back to signs and forget what they point to, this letter is written to be an encouragement. And they're being, they're being tempted to give up on the Savior, the kingdom. They're being tempted to give up on, on the, the glory that is theirs that all... All the temple and its priestly regalia and its glory are things that pointed towards this greater glory. The temple is interesting. The tabernacle and the temple are written to be earthly mirrors of heaven. To where there's, there's, there's layers to it. Everything in it has rich symbolism. Down to the color. Down to the materials. You read the stuff in Exodus and it almost seems boring how much stuff is being put into this. Like dugong skin? Why do I need to know that's in the curtains? And why do I have to know the color of this? And why do I have to know the placement of stones? And the reason that it's given so specifically, and you must make it exactly this way, is because a mirror had better be accurate. And so the sense of there's this immediate presence of God in the Holy of Holies, it was the most inner room. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And in that Holy of Holies is the interest, is this uh, immediate place of God's glory and power, a room outside of that, a room outside of that, a court outside of that, and then a court outside of that. Sort of these layers at which a human can come and be with God. And it's meant to represent all of that. And yet they're tempted to, to trade out the signs for the real thing. It is not for those who hope in the temple that get to see God, but those who hope in Christ, the actual high priest of the kingdom. You see, the Holy of Holies, that inner room, was one that only one person could go to. The person functioning as high priest. It was the only person who could go in there. They could go once a year. And it was said that he would drop dead so often that uh, Jews actually would put bells on his feet and wrap a rope around his legs to pull him out in case God struck him dead for being impure. It's a, very sanct- it's a very sanctified place. Only one person can go in, and that's a very set rule. God wanted that detail to get in there. Only the high priest may pass through the curtain and into the Holy of Holies. 
And that's the way it was and was and was until a superior high priest comes. The point of Hebrews is that Jesus is the king and he is the superior high priest. He is the one that passes through not just the earthly curtain, but the real heavenly curtain. His body cuts a hole in it and leaves a way for us to go in. And that passage refers to that that, that passageway in, the way coming in, as the living way. And it's where we get our namesake from. Our nameless author, he spends the entire time making this argument up until chapter 10 about the superiority of Christ, how he's greater than Moses, greater than the prophets, greater than the high priest, that he is this high figure. And he gets to the crescendo and he says this. We're going to be in uh, Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's the Holy of Holies, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way. Been a long week. I'm going to cry when I read living way. Come on. Pull it together, Sam. By the new and living way, uh, open for us uh, through the curtain, uh, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled and to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The, the whole book of Hebrews, and it, it's what can make it hard to interpret. If you want to get Hebrews, you better know Jewish temple worship really, really well. Because this passage, like much of them, is dripping with and just t- completely saturated with temple worship from the sprinkling and these figures that are being said. We could go through them all, but it would be exhaustive. So we'll just simply say this, that everything that he is saying happens to us, the sprinkling of our conscience, referring back to the sprinkling of hyssop on the high priest and all of these things, is to be purified and made clean that we could also enter in and be immediately with God. Christ has made a way, and he's left this opening in his wake. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That passage mirrors this one, of being that his body was the one that went, th- went in through the curtain, but not in it, and it closed it again, but tore a hole in it, that those who are priests under that high priest— He is the high priest, and we belong to him. We can pass all the way through. This mattered so much to that author because he's watching people say, I would rather just go back to the temple, a place where I'm never allowed to go into the Holy of Holies that's itself only an earthly mirror. And instead of saying, you have been given a superior high priest that delivers you into the presence of God, don't for the sake of hardship give up on that incredible blessing. Christ is is, is what leaves behind that living way. Now, the living way can be difficult. Some people will, a few people interpret it as Christ is the living way, but in Greek, it's pretty clear that Christ is the high priest who entered in, and what he leaves is a living way, meaning that the way forward, our way, our Christianity, that is actually the first thing Christianity had. It was called the way. That this way is living and active. You know, what's interesting. Do you know why Mary and the ladies went to Jesus' tomb on the day of his resurrection? They went there because tombs were not permanent burial places for dead Jews. That's not what they did. They would place them in there and seal it off. It had just the right amount of airflow that essentially their bodies would completely dry out, mummify, and when the time came right and the body was fully decomposed, they would collect the bones, put it into a decorative uh, bone box, and bring it back home. And so you have uh, Joseph's bones, for instance, come out in the book of Exodus. They say they gathered up the box of his bones and brought it up with them. You would keep these bones, and so Jesus isn't put into a grave as much as he's put into a decomposition chamber, and they're going to collect his bones. 
And so you would go out to the grave every day, especially at first as the decomposition is starting to make sure vermin aren't getting in and no thieves are coming, to make sure you're watching over the decomposition process. You would have aloes with you to help with any sort of stench or smell, and it was a way of venerating the dead. And so they're coming not because they're giving up or they're just coming to be depressed and to sob. They loved Jesus. They believed in his word. They believed in everything about him, but they come to venerate him like a dead man. And what they find is that he is alive, vividly alive, speaking to them, changing their minds, directing them, and confronting them. That's what a living way is. This way of ours that we follow Christ, it's not something that's just this austere belief system. We hang on to it as tight as we can, and we'll just keep believing in what we've read, but that we will encounter a living God. And that's what defines our church. It defines how we speak to each other, that we wouldn't talk about God like, he's, like he isn't right in the room. And that we would live uh, with this deep understanding that God speaks, he guides, he'll move and direct his church. He is the head of this church, not just in some figurative, uh, high and lofty way, but literally he is the highest authority at Living Life Fellowship. That is my boss, Ryan's boss, your boss. That is the person who's in charge. And the word boss is almost an insult because that is our father. That is our director. That is our savior. And it's our Lord. That when a few years ago when Paul transitioned, we had interim and then I came in. There was not three transitions of Paul's leadership, uh, no leadership, and then me. There has only ever been one leader of this church from the time that Ken Wold planted it to today. We believe in the God that speaks and directs. Somewhere in heaven, and this is one of the points of Hebrews, is that Hebrews wants to make it really clear that because Jesus is not here and he's gone to heaven, it doesn't mean that he's dead, that he is different than everybody else who has passed and has been there. He is alive there, that he is high priest there, that he prays for us constantly, that his heart is beating in heaven, that his circulation is moving in heaven, that he's breathing in that place, that he is alive is one of the core things this book wants us to understand. If we're going to follow Jesus, we should follow him like a God alive, vividly alive, encountering us, directing us, moving us, having it to where we don't just trust systems and, 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 and dead discipleship tools, but we would trust that when you become a believer, the Spirit of God starts to dwell with you, speaks with you. You become his temple. You've been sanctified and cleaned and purified. You could be directed by God with you immediately. I haven't taken a head count of how many people are in this room. But whatever the head count is, we can add one more because God is in this room with us right now. There's this interesting thing that he ends this point with. It almost seems like it's, it's two points because he's, he's talking about entering into the presence of God. And then he says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some, uh, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Why does he say hold unswervingly? Why does that need to be said? Because it's hard to hang on to it. There's opposition. I, I think as much opposition as I felt in my life to follow Christ, I don't know if I felt the same thing as being put up by my friends, family, community, everything I ever held dear, saying, you can't come be part of our club anymore if you follow this Jesus person. I haven't. But the fact is, is that we all have opposition. 
In the original language, the phrase used there, it means the same thing as hold with a firm grip. It alludes to something shaking and you've got to hang on to it, that it's not going to be easy. And for these readers, their opposition was to be cast out of Jewish culture. There's always opposition. There's always a broken pipe. There's always flooding on the floor, likely asbestos washed into the preschool room. There's always something. There's always going to be something. To be a Christian is always going to be to paddle upstream. It's not always going to be easy. If, if ever, it's, it's going to be difficult. There's always going to be outside change that we're pressured to give into. There's always going to be budgetary problems, expenses, and issues that we have. Whatever it's going to be, the current goes against us. And for those that chose such a life, we need to encourage each other to continue on in it. It's not something that's going to come naturally. We need to be strengthened with each other, or strengthening one another. And we do this, uh, and not just our church living way, but, those, but everyone who is dwelling with the Spirit, we do this in a different way. We do it with a living God in the middle of it. This doesn't happen um, naturally. It happens intentionally. As we listen to God, and come together. There's uh, a verse uh, in Psalms 127 that says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor, labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen guard in vain. Human effort is doomed for failure. But when God's expectant people partner with him, the things that are built are everlasting. If we're going to encourage one another, if we're going to have Christian roles in each other's life, it has to come with God partnering with us. And when we pray for one another, we pray as if God is, the, is standing beside us with his hand on the same person. Not trying to drum up from ourselves our own what sounds like eloquent prayers, but to let the Holy Spirit guide and direct us. There's a power in it. When we build one another up, if we build it up out of things we've learned in our relationship with God, things the Lord has told us, we can be like Paul who said, let me pass on to you what I also received. It's people who dwell with God. It's people who, who are aware of that presence, who, who are realize that everywhere I am in the car right now, sitting in the passenger seat next to me is the presence of God. That, that this incredible resource, this living way, that as I, as I experience my Christianity, it will be alive and vivid. Is those people that are the best encouragers because what they're giving you didn't come from a book or a podcast of their own thoughts and vain beliefs. They're giving you something that they learned by sitting, in the feet of, sitting at the feet of God and learning from him and sitting in the lap of their father. And this is why understanding that living way is so important. A community that encourages, uh, that encounters a God alive in their daily lives encourages with truth. They don't encourage with culture or just a belief system or conformity to the world. We, we encourage one another with the truth of heaven that we've learned from God himself. And that's why it's so important to always make sure that we come together for a purpose. That we make sure that this is something that matters to us, that we don't give up on it like some people are in the habit of doing, but to consider it an incredibly important part of our lives because each one of us encounters the Lord. And when we come together, we become a community around the living way. And amazing things happen in that community. We don't want to talk about God like he's not in the room. We don't want to encourage people on what seems best and drum it up from ourselves. But to expect the living God to really be among us, living and moving. 
And then in that time, when we are intentional to never forget to come together, never forgetting to be intentional to listen to the Lord, there we will experience growth among ourselves and growth for us bringing in the lost. I have a few things I want to pray for us for. And then uh, we have one more song that we have prepared. Um, and we'll close out. But I want to... Uh, I want to pray for us this morning. Lord, I pray for, uh, for all of us that feel tired or sleepy in our faith, maybe even dead, that we would come away from, from following the way of belief, the way of, of white-knuckling it, the way of trying to impress a God we think might be watching, but that instead we would live for a way that is living, that we would dedicate ourselves to the living way, that the way that, the, that God has set ahead of us is alive. It is vividly alive. Lord, I pray that we could worship you and venerate you as a God alive and not as a dead man. A God alive speaks. A God alive directs. He has things he wants to say to us, places he wants to direct us, things he wants to change within us. And this has long been, Lord, how we've encountered you in this church. A brand of Pentecostalism that is not about... Um, about trying to find those high-level, esoteric, spooky prophecies, but instead seeks you to be in daily life, that the God of the living way is a God for every single day, a God whose living way and living word and living presence with us encourages us when we're depressed, when we're anxious, helps us to encourage others who are wanting to give up on this way and don't want to paddle upstream anymore. You speak the words through us that we could be encouraged that this community could continue to paddle upstream for the greater things that are ahead. Lord, I pray that you would continue to empower us to have gifts to share with one another. As the Spirit moves within us, that people who have a gift of wisdom would be able to, or they would feel more comfortable just sharing that wisdom. Lord, I pray for those who, who, uh, who like my dad, have, those, have visions, have prophetic words for people. Lord, I pray for confidence to grow in us, to share those with one another. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to speak and encourage one another and be stirred up in that gift so that we could have growth within ourselves changing in ways we never imagined and growth for those who aren't yet with us. And Lord, I pray that just as this building is going to be very much renewed and made fresh, it'll be the living way that we knew, but it'll be refreshed. It'll be different. The bad things have gone away. There will be a, a harmony about it. Lord, I pray that uh, what we see in that building, it would be like, it would be like the earthly temple. It'd be a mirror of what happens in our spirits, Lord, that we would continue to be this church of the living way, but it would be refreshed, it would be renewed, and it would be alive again, harmonious. And Lord, I pray that that harmony would go home with us, it'll go with us in all the places that we rent, and it'll be with us when we return back here in celebration. Thank you, Lord. Amen.